I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. This is Outside In. I'm Justine Paradise. And I'm Taylor Quimby. So there's this thing that happens to me every so often. You know when you come across something that makes you realize, like, where you're from? Mm. Um, Meaning for me, like, a product of the United States and culturally, for better and for worse, I am American. (laughs) Just you, though, not me. (laughs) You exist contextless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from New Hampshire. (laughs) Historyless. Yeah, that's you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, being American can mean a lot of things, and you can be a product of more than one culture, but I think back to this time, um, I was lucky enough to go to France when I was a kid with my family, Mm -hmm. and there was this one time that we visited this elementary school, and I remember telling the principal, he asked, like, what's your, you know, day like at school? And I told him that we get 20 minutes for lunch. And when I tell you the look of horror he gave me... <laughs> I'm still mortified about that. That's ridiculous. It's too short. But he, he was, you know, a French man, and he was like... He put his hand on his stomach like he was experiencing indigestion and just was like, oh, <laughs> Too fast. But, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks about this, about um, how where you live shapes what you think of as normal. If you're an American currently living abroad, what is one time that made you realize that America really messed you up? I'll go first. So this is one of those TikTok videos, you know, where people respond to a question someone asks. You know this video that I'm talking about on TikTok? I do. I only watch TikToks on Twitter, but I do know the format. (laughs) Very millennial of you. (laughs) Um, So a bunch of people posted response videos for this one, and someone put all the answers up in a compilation on YouTube. Um, Like one of the answers talked about the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, You guys didn't have to swear loyalty to your country before you started school? Yeah. But for whatever reason... This response really got me. So I started my new job in the Netherlands and I was going through the company policy the first week. And I got to the section about leave and I was reading about sick leave and I turned to my coworker and I was like, I don't understand, like, how many sick days do we get a year? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, how many, how many are there? It doesn't say. She's like, it's just, if you're sick, you're out. I'm like, I don't understand. She's like, 
it's unlimited. It's just if you're sick, you take a sick day. So I'm sure that there are nice things about being American to realize, but we're not going to cover any of those today. Um, but Taylor, I think the reason I'm, I brought this up is because when you first came across the story that is today's show, um, you had this experience. This was one of those things that made you realize, oh, wow, this is my cultural context. Yeah. Yeah. Today we're featuring an episode of a podcast called On the Green Fence. Uh, the name is this play you know, of the idea of being on the fence about something. The show explores complex, uh, often divisive environmental issues from multiple angles. That's how they describe themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's produced in Germany. And this episode came as a part of series that they did on meat. It's about locally hunted game. And I just thought it was so interesting when I was listening because I, I think this episode would sound totally and utterly different if it had been made in America. Like we would like we wouldn't even ask some of the questions that you'll hear asked because I don't know, because the, the like culture and fabric of hunting and guns is just is a completely different thing here. Without further ado, let's hear it. Presenting Hunting for Sustainable Meat by the podcast On the Green Fence. Welcome back to DW's Environment Podcast on the Green Fence with me, Neil King. And me, Gabe Yeah, and uh, we continue our series on meat. And this episode, I have to say, I actually was looking forward to all along because we had a very, very exciting and suspenseful experience with a huntress in the forest, right? Because we were looking at alternatives to get out of uh, the meat paradox. And one of them, for me personally, maybe not so much for Gabe, but personally for me, I thought hunting is a very sustainable way to get your meat. Um, The animals are free. They're not caged. There's theoretically a chance that they can escape. So ethically, I think it's, uh, you know, you can justify it way better than industrial uh, meat. Um, But there's also uh, the fact uh, that this meat, you know, you don't need animal fodder and animal feed for it. So all the transport is gone. You don't have to farm to feed the animals. So the the environmental footprint is also way, way lower. I'm totally with you there, um, Neil. There there are good parts to it. You're still killing an animal is is something that we're going to have to think about. And certainly for me, it's, it's one reason why I'm a bit skeptical. Mm. of of how great hunting is. I grew up in rural Wisconsin where if, if, if you didn't hunt and you were a boy, you didn't go out with dad, um, it was like you were missing a rite of passage. Everyone hunted and my parents or my dad didn't and I always viewed them as being as a, as very brutal, almost carnal. Mm. The, well, the shooting of an animal and then the celebration of it Putting the antlers up on the wall, you know, you're not a man until you shot until you've shot a buck. That always turned me off. So I will be kind of uh, the devil's advocate here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also it's got a completely different standing uh, hunting has than in the U.S. Right? It's also it's much smaller. It's far more niche. Here in Germany, you mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, about three hundred and ninety thousand people who have a hunting license. It's all very bureaucratic also in Germany. You can't just go out and shoot an animal. There's a lot more to it, which we'll also find out uh, from Alina. And uh, But in terms of the meat that you actually get out of it, it is very popular in Germany. 60% of Germans eat game at least once a year. Um, but, um, yeah, we have to look into the, the pros and cons. And also, this is still very niche. 
Is it really scalable? Does it work for the mass market? But I think it can definitely be part of the solution, but we'll find this, out. This is your personal solution or would be would be one of them? Well, it's something for, I def- a, for a way out of the meat paradox. Yeah, well, it's something I would look into. I, I don't know enough about it yet. We have to talk to Alina about just that. Um, but yeah, I think this could be part of the solution, definitely. Okay, well then let's get our boots on. Um, we don't have guns, so Alina's the only one with a gun. We're not allowed to have a gun, Gabe. <laughs> this is not the US. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, let's let's go hunting, Neil. What do you think? Yeah, let's uh, just... We have to Where pay- are we going to go? We're going to go to a high seat. Uh, just picture this now in, in, in the Pfälzerwald, that's in southwestern Germany, deep inside the forest. We drove there with our, with our van and barely got up the hill. And we walked into the forest for a bit until we were really in a very isolated spot, a high seat three people fit into. And it's getting dark, right? And we're waiting, essentially, for animal to cross our path here, that Alina can take them out. And just as you understand, we had to whisper so that we don't scare the animals away. Yeah. Something that Gabe wasn't very good at, <laughs> but we had to do it. So um, you're going to have to bear with us half this episode. Let's, let's start whispering right now, Neil. Yeah, half this episode is going to be whispered. But don't worry, the second half, we talk normally again. Okay, have fun listening. Turn off the mobile phone sound. Okay, so now we're, we're in the high seat. Now, what do we do? We are waiting. <laughs> Not something for you. Right, Gabriel? <laughs> yeah, it needs a bit of practice. Yeah. Are those night vision binoculars? No, it's like normal binoculars. It's only you can also measure the distances with it. Right. How far is the deer, so how far you can shoot. Yeah. How far can you shoot? Well, I shot in England on a shooting range of 1,000 meters. That's like a sniper, right, with the army? Yeah, that was quite cool for training, but the furthest uh, shot was 180 meters. But uh, with a new technique and stuff like that, and the scopes, you can... Yeah, easily shoot up to 400. But for me, it's it makes no has nothing to do with hunting because um, I want to have a relationship with a deer. I don't want to uh, snipe somewhere. Maybe I hit it or maybe not. So. But how do you have a relationship with a deer from a high seat? What does that mean? I think if a deer is like 400 meters away and you try to shoot it and you miss it it's like okay well i missed it there's no nothing happened so i won't look after it but if you shoot something at maybe 50 meters or something you have a more a closer relationship to it because there's no such a big distance between you and the deer if a wild boar or a deer came running through here how can you have a relationship with it you're going to shoot it that seems like a pretty horrible relationship for the for the wild poor. It's not that kind of friendship or relationship, but if it's closer, maybe like on hundred meters or something, I have a relationship to the to the animal because I can see everything. I can see how it acts. And Are you already thinking about the meat when you're here hunting? No, I'm just. Is it, is it more of a game? Is it more of a sport, a game, or? No, no right now it's like enjoying. The silence. But that silence, you disrupted them with a shot, right? Yeah, sure. How does that feel? Well, in that moment, I'm not thinking about the silence. 
I'm just concentrating on what I'm doing because I know that I'm taking a life and I'm very concentrated on that. You are 30 years old yes. and you got your hunting license 12 years ago, right? Yeah. Why did you decide to go hunting? I mean, they were, you were very young when you got your hunting license, right? Um, yeah. Well, my Why father, hunting? My father is, um, is a hunter. My grandpa used to be one. And um, for me, it was quite normal to, to go hunting when I was a child and to see dead and alive animals. And uh, But uh, I became a vegetarian with 14. Yeah, you were vegetarian? Yeah, because I didn't uh, like the way the animals were treated in like this Mazenti um, Haidong. Factory farm, factory farm. Wait a minute, hold on. You were a vegetarian when you became a hunter? No, no, no. I was a vegetarian. Sorry, something is a mobile I'm sitting here or something. right now shot something yeah yeah he shot a, a red deer it's like the biggest animal we have in germany and he shot a, a male one a young male one spiser league means a spiker spiker is down is that your code language that's uh, the hunting language we have no but coming back to um you just said that you were a vegetarian or turned became vegetarian as a 14 year old because yeah. you um were disgusted by factory farming can you take us through the process about how did you go from that mindset to becoming a hunter? It went well, like three years. And then I recognized that I missed eating meat. So I was uh, eating meat secretly. Well, you were snacking on meat? Yes, yes. What uh, kind of meat? Doesn't matter what's in the fridge. <laughs> and so, but I, then I said to myself, okay, you can't just eat meat at night, lonely. Oh, you went You went at night yeah, to the fridge? Like, like, like a pregnant woman who is maybe... You had a craving every night for me at yeah. the fridge, okay. So I said to myself, I need to find a way to can, to eat meat, but on a, for me, ethical way or in a correct way, because maybe it sounds strange, but I really, really love animals. I really love them, but... I also want to eat meat. I think it's just a question if you want to eat meat, yes or no. And if you want to eat meat, you need to find your best way to get your meat. And my best way is to shoot a deer which lives in the forest completely free, without fence, without medicals, without humans. Isn't it a brutal thing to shoot a peaceful deer or wild boar out here with a huge rifle? with a huge rifle. <laughs> um, I think my rifle is not that huge, but I know what you mean. Like, yeah, could be brutal, could be cruel, but what's, what, how can I do it if I want to eat meat? So what you're saying is that you are okay with your conscience here? Yes, I'm absolutely okay. It's no problem if you, if you kill animals for eating, but you need to handle them with respect and they need to live with respect and like they want to. And yeah. I think you'd find some animal rights activists would say that killing an animal is showing the animal absolutely no respect. That is the worst thing you can do to an animal. How do you counter that? Yeah, I just want to be respected from the people who are meeting meat for what I'm doing. 
if you're not eating meat and um, I can absolutely understand that they can't understand me but I also know a lot of people um, eating meat and and, and still Nate here. Have you ever dreamed of going on the voyages of some of the most famous and not-so-famous explorers in history? If so, then you should check out the Explorers podcast. Host Matt Breen takes you into jungles and frigid wastelands, across deserts and oceans, and to the top of great mountains as you explore the triumph, glory, and tragedy of each explorer. There are extraordinary stories of Shackleton, Magellan, Cook, Lewis and Clark, and so many other daring people from all across the world and from throughout history. Each explorer's story is told in rich, immersive detail, and each topic is given as much time as needed to tell the whole tale, ranging from 30 minutes to 10 hours. There's something for everyone. Find the Explorers Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or go to explorerspodcast.com to learn more. This is Outside In. I'm Justine Paradise. And today, we are featuring an episode of On the Green Fence, a podcast about environmental issues, often the complex and thorny ones. And this time, it's hunting. Is wild game a sustainable meat? Let's return to the conversation, which in this part of the episode gets a little visceral in the true sense of the word. But first... Neil and Gabe are whispering in a tree in a forest in Germany, trying to be very quiet because they are tagging along on a deer hunt. If you're a young man and you don't hunt, 
is where I come from in Beaverdam, in Wisconsin. You weren't part of the group. My, I was raised by my dad's a pacifist, doesn't own a gun, has never shot a gun probably. And I never went hunting, because when you go hunting, you always go with your dad. And I feel as though I missed like a really important rite of passage for that. For the for the, all my friends, they all went out and came back with antlers. They got a buck, and I um, I think I never liked people who hunted, and I think there was a bit of jealousy going on there mm-hmm. because I wasn't part of the group, and I resented them maybe a little bit because of that. It made me think of hunters as, like I said before, brutal, yeah. cruel, yeah. Tro- trophy hunters. It seemed like they were doing it as a kind of game for themselves to make their egos start to like mm-hmm. to make themselves feel. Well, of course, there are people like you are talking about, and there are a lot of people like which are not hunting the way I am hunting, but you will find it in every kind of group. But do you think hunting uh, is elitist in Germany? Because it's not easy, is it? You have to invest some money. It takes uh, quite a bit of. Well, it used to be. But I think maybe 50 years ago, a hunter, doctor, a lawyer, and a pilot were like all the same very well-seen people, you know, like, but today it's not. um, But is it that easy? Because, I mean, also getting a gun in Germany isn't easy. There's a lot of things you have to go through to actually get to where you are right now. Yeah, and Germany always need to have a reason why you need to have a rifle. The reason is because you're a policeman, or because you're hunting, or because you're... But I mean, you can't just go there and say, right, I'm a hunter now, I can get a gun. You have to get a license, and you have to take classes, right? And it's a lot of learning. You have to, you have to learn a lot about the forest yes. and the animals, right? How hard would that be for Neil here to become a hunter? What, what would he have to go through? What kind of time investment are we talking? Like a, like a half a year or before he got his license and got his gun? Again, we're talking about Neil here, so... I know. Well, for him, I can't see a chance, but... (laughs) (laughs) But for normal... Let's not start a fight in here. There's a gun in the room. (laughs) How long would it take somebody to become a hunter in Germany? The normal and old traditional way is around nine months. And... uh, But there are, like, the fast cruises now where you can get it in two weeks. Do you think a lot of guys go in for it just to get a gun? No, don't think so. It's too much effort for that, isn't it? Yeah. How often do you come to this particular spot? Oh, this year it's just the second time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wait, is that a pickup line, Neil? What? Do you come here often? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just uh, wondering because we're here in this particular spot because the three of us actually fit in here, right? Because normally these high seats, it's just for two or yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's a good spot. Um, a friend of mine shot a buck here, a roebuck, four weeks ago. Do you keep track of the number of animals you've hunted? Have you got any idea how many you have killed and eaten? Actually, I have no, no number. There are a lot of um, hunters. My ex-boyfriend, for example, does that. He's like writing every animal he shot. Like, Wait a minute, your ex-boyfriend was a hunter too? Sure. I think if you're a woman and you're hunting, you can't you can just live with a hunter. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I think like other guys have maybe not um, the, the understanding for what I'm doing. 
never been outside like in the morning when the light and the sun comes up and the grass is wet and everything is silent and slowly the, the, the birds are starting to sing and you are walking around and you see some tears. It's a feeling you really can't describe.
Hey Max. Hello. You you just shot this deer, right? It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Max has strung it up and it's if I put my arm right up, it's still higher than I am. Is it still warm? Sure. You can see it heating. Let me just touch it. God, that feels so weird. It's still it's still warm. Let me try. It feels like it feels like my old dog when I would pet it. Yeah. opening up the rib cage now that's what you can hear yep now it's cutting right down oh and now what's this coming out the it's bowels the stomach, the stomach. Mm -hmm. the big grey mass okay and you can smell it now there's a yep. very distinct smell in mm -hmm. the air okay now you're pulling over both sides oh now it's all coming out <laughs> oh man So within a span of about three minutes, yeah. you've removed the stomach and all the intestines. Yes. Now we have like the, we say stones in our oh, um, hunting language. Die Hoden. Gonads. Yeah. And this has to be done immediately. Yeah. You do it like right after the shot or half an hour later. Why? Because uh, in the moment the... the Animal is dead, the stomach bacteria start to move around the body and go to the meat, so you need to bring that out of the body to take care of the meat. So let's just go let's just go over to this box here because Max has taken out all the intestines, the organs, and he's put it in this box. Um, the yeah. stomach looks like a like a stuffed turkey. It does a bit, it does a bit. With the plastic bag around it, it's completely white. Mm. The stomach. So this is the lung. And this is the liver, and um, where we have a knife. Moment. So. <laughs> what was that noise? It's just because it's, there's a hole somewhere in the stomach, and uh, air is coming out. <laughs> I thought there was. What's a baby deer in there? No. Jesus. That's like stomach inside. That's disgusting. And this is the disgusting smell here. When this deer was walking around, Max, yes. how long did it stop before you shot? Yes. Was it just. It stopped and looked to me. And um, then I have shot, and then it's go down. And when you saw it, did your own heart start pumping? Yes. If your heart. It's not pumping faster when you are hunting, then you should stop hunting because then it's not emotional anymore. And you need to be emotional so that you, yeah, be concentrated, that you have a feeling for the animal. And if you're doing it like maybe a slaughter in a slaughtery because you do it like 20 or what, 20, 200 times a day, um, I think it's normal for them. But killing an animal or a white animal. It's never normal for, for a hunter. Yeah. So what is the next step? Do you leave it here overnight or do you have to put it somewhere cold? Or what, what yeah, happens? we put it in uh, the freezer. In the or not in the freezer, in the fridge. In the fridge. Yeah. And we cut off the legs because um, the full body is too big for the um, fridge. Yeah, it's hard if you see the first time, I can imagine. Oh, the noise as well. 
Breaking of Bones. But there is no feeling inside the body. Es waren neun Stück insgesamt. Und dann habe ich geschossen. There were nine altogether. Eight does and one buck. When I shot the buck, it went down immediately. And when it was dead, I walked over and sat with it for half an hour. You said that you sat in a half hour together with this animal after it was dead. Yes. Why? What? 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 It's respect in the moment and the emotions and come down. Come down. It's been a couple hours now, and, and the way in which you just disemboweled it and, and cut off its legs. I don't see that emotion and, and it's almost like a methodical hitman style. Um, how, how can you do this so... After about a half hour, we still treat it with very much respect, it slowly starts turning into food. It died an honorable death. And we honor it by eating it. It is changing character from something that's living to food. And now we will process the meat. Von dem Lebewesen zu einem Lebensmittel. Und jetzt geht's um die Fleischverwertung sozusagen. Now it's being loaded onto a wheelbarrow. It's a lot easier to grab the meat in the supermarket or than see an animal. With head and eyes. Okay, so we're taking it inside now in the wheelbarrow. Into is this also? Uh, I don't know. What is this? Uh... Well, this is just the place where we where we can put our fridge. It's from the from the city here, from the village. It is now hanging on a hook in this fridge. How long will it? Hang like that? Five, six days. And this was um, how many kilos approximately? I think around 70. And you'll be able to eat that for? This could be for four or five months. That sounds as if we're getting into territory where it's sustainable. Not for the mass market maybe, but if you've got, you know. Yeah, mass market. In my bachelor thesis, I... Um, I counted all the, the meat or the venison meat we have in, in Germany in one year. And if we all just eat venison, we have like 30 grams per year per person. It's not a lot. So then the solution, if looking at in a world of where meat eating would be sustainable, would be for people to reduce their meat consumption. That's the only way. Sure. Or half of them go vegetarian and the other half go hunting. For example, yes. <laughs> Well, um, are we still going after that wild boar? We will look. Um, I will have, I have my cameras. Are you still game, Gabe? Do you still want to go, or have you changed your mind? Uh, to be honest, I think I've had enough. Seriously. Really? You look a little pale, Gabe. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm great. Okay. <laughs>
Okay, so finally, um, we get to talk about what happened last night. You didn't want to do a debrief last night, Gabe. You just went up to it, right? But uh, now we can. You've slept on it, and you can sort of gather your thoughts and give us what you taken away from last night. Yeah, it was a long day, and I think I was in a. It wasn't a state of shock. I was just. I was a bit overwhelmed. I had a lot going through my head, and I was too tired to to come up with any. But I mean, what were you expecting? Because you you were really ashen faced looking at you. I I actually thought you might even be low on sugar. Um, well, no, I was actually really high on sugar because my phone had died and couldn't check my blood sugar. Um, I guess the reason why I, they kept talking about. Treating the animal with respect, and I was just looking at this this deer strung up by its neck, you know, getting all its organs ripped out, cut up, its bones ripped apart, and then the idea of it you know peacefully walking around in the woods with with eight does or Imagine if there were some other species that was higher or a predator to us. You're walking around peacefully with, with eight of your friends, and all of a sudden you're on the ground, dying. I don't... I wouldn't... I could, if, if that species said they were treating me with respect... So... That, it was just about it's hard for me to I can't grasp that term. So it was it was the respect thing that that, that, that got you. It seems like a, a glaring contradiction. Mm-hmm. It seems absurd to me. And yet this morning when we had breakfast, right? Because you've been huffing and sighing ever since you set eyes on that slaughtered deer. And you've been in a really bad mood, I mean quite frankly. Um, but this morning we went for breakfast, right? And you said you went to the buffet, you said, Right, I'm I'm going vegan. I sat at the table, you came back, and you had scrambled eggs on your plate with, what was it, ham? Ham chunks in it? Well, what happened I, there? I didn't see the bacon at first, but I, I, th- I thought it was just egg. But you ate it. I swallowed it down, yeah. So how does that go together with what you've just described? That animal, right? That's like pork, you know, over 58 million pigs slaughtered in Germany and a far... I, I mean, the, the conditions there are just horrendous compared to what we saw last night. Well, I guess... I think for my pea brain, this is what's going on. I don't understand it. I don't understand the brutal violence behind eating meat. And I'm slowly starting to comprehend that, Neil. And it's not easy. The idiot that's the, uh, that I am eating that eggs with pork, pig meat, doesn't get it. That what we saw the night before, carcass being shredded apart and ripped apart in front of our eyes, that is what eating meat is. If it's done behind closed doors, then it's fine for my stupid brain. So you've had like, uh, is it an awakening moment where you sort of, you know, you're aware now and you're going to change it? Or is it, is it, are you saying you're going to go back to the, the, the pea brain mode and carry on eating meat the way you have been? I don't know right now. I don't know. I, it's, not, it's not clear enough to me yet. But I know that there's, there's something bubbling in the chamber. For sure. Because for me, it had 
the exact opposite effect, really. I didn't feel anywhere near as bad as you did. I... It was it was a bit grotesque just seeing the carcass, the the angle of the neck and everything. It just looked grotesque. Death, I think, is very grotesque. But at the same time, I did have the feeling, yeah, this animal, it was happy right up until it was killed. It was wild. It was free. It had a chance of getting away. It was a far more even playing field than you have in a slaughterhouse where animals are just being herded in and killed en masse. It's just the brutal reality. I think that was that was those were the words that came out of my mouth when I was staring at that car. It's just a brutal reality, and it's taking a while. It's it's just taking a while for me to to get that. I think my conclusion is is, is different from last night. I think it wasn't easy looking at that, but I think I could do it, and that I think I have to be able to do it if I want to eat meat. This episode of Outside In was a feature of the podcast On the Green Fence, which you can learn more about at DW.com. It was reported and hosted by Neil King and Gabriel Borud. Their executive producer is Vanessa Fisher, and their sound engineer is Jürgen Kuhn. Outside In's team is me, Justine Paradise, Taylor Quimby, Felix Poon, and Jessica Hunt. And our executive producer is Rebecca Lavoie. Remember, Outside In is a member and listener-supported production. To support our work, go to outsideinradio.org and click Donate. Music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. (laughs) 